Well, it's an awesome day. <laughs> We've got some awesome, awesome speakers lined up. The first one, uh, I'm going to try to get through this without crying, no promises. The first one uh, is my friend and, and surrogate father, Mark Wyatt. Uh, Mark Wyatt is my pastor, and, uh, and as I was worshiping, I was kind of backtracking and remembering all the history, and it was a little overwhelming. But it was, it was looking back, you know how you can always see things clear in the past, or, or once you've reached this place, you can look back and see everything clear, how the Lord was working things out um, without you even knowing. And that's what was happening when the Lord called us to come to Deeper Life on, on government back when I was 10 years ago, probably 10 or 11 years ago. And uh, I thought it was all about me, <laughs> of course. Uh, I was young, and, I, and I, I thought, we need to get outside the walls of the church, and we need to do something. I didn't know what it was. We need to go pray for people and, and love people outside the doors of the church. This is what I'm seeing in Scripture, and we need to go do it. And so Bill Starling was sitting Indian style in the middle of the road, and I stopped and talked to him. Uh, no, I don't want to take up too much of his time. We're just going to leave it there. Bill was sitting Indian style in the middle of the, Meditating. <laughs> the median. So we stopped and had lunch. Not in the median. We went to... I don't know, somewhere, chicken place, some fried chicken place. Uh, and so, uh, so we began to talk, and he told me about servant evangelism. I'd never heard of servant evangelism, um, but I was like, that's what I'm taught. That's what the Lord's leading me to do. This sounds really cool. So we did. We went, and, and uh, I went with Lonnie, like, the second Sunday we were there, and we went out to the city and just loved people and prayed for people. And the Lord tore down walls and doors that I didn't even know I had at that point. And I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. I didn't know that the Lord was setting me up to, to have demonstrated to me on earth how a loving father is. And that, that's what I found in Mark. Even though I disagreed with him for the first probably year, year and a half, <laughs> when he asked for questions, I'd be in the back like a jerk. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't think that that's right. <laughs> and uh, lovingly, Mark would say, you're wrong. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. No, uh, but over time, the, the thing that I remember most about Mark throughout the years, and there's lots to tell, and like I said, I don't want to take up all this time, but um, what I do remember is growing up in the environment that I grew up in, I was kind of cynical, and I would, I'd seen some of the worst in people. I'd seen hurt. I'd seen people hurt me and hurt people around me. And so I had this, this idea of that's, that's how people are, and I, I was a little bit on the, de- on the defensive all the time. And one of the things I always remember about Mark is he always saw the best in everybody. Um, Sometimes to, to, to his own fault, it would hurt sometimes because he would, he would just love. He would just love people. And you all know if you love people openly like that, sometimes you get hurt. And I can remember seeing those times and seeing how genuine he was in loving people. And it changed me radically because he demonstrated to me of what a loving father is. <clears throat> and uh, and it, was, it was in this, in this church um, one Sunday uh, when all of the teachings on sonship came to fruition. And, and, uh, and I said, Daddy... <laughs> to my father in heaven, and, I, and I, I acknowledged him as who he was, and he was my father. And it was, it was because of you demonstrating that and you mm-hmm. teaching it um, and the Holy Spirit quickening that in me that, that I am the man that I am today. And so I, I, I'll stop there so I don't, <laughs> I don't start crying, but I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much I appreciate everything you've poured into mine and Tracy's and our kids' lives. You have radically altered our lives in a very, very good way, and so I just really appreciate that. Um, so without further ado and less crying, Mark Wyatt. Come on down. <laughs> well, I can't guarantee less crying. Because Justin's going to cry anyway. <laughs> Ooh, I'm on camera. Hello, world. Oh, not yet. Fine. <laughs> yeah, there's a camera on there. Um, well, ah, it's good to be here. Um, can we bring the house lights up a little bit more so people will stay awake easier? Thank you. So I can see everybody. It's so good to be back here. Man, you know, I have to tell you, most, most days of the year I wake up and I look at Marianne and I say, you know, maybe today will be the day that Justin will call me and invite me back for something. <laughs> And then he does, and so, you know, I'm good until next time. Uh, but, uh, no, it's, it's so good to be here, um, and there's so many things that I, that I want to say and so many things that I will say here in just a moment. But, you know, you know what we bought this building? Essentially, you've been here, Justin, longer than you think. We bought this building in, well, it was 11 years ago this month. 
So you've been here longer than that. Um, you know, some of you may know this too, uh, but last night was 15 years to the day from our very first meeting of Deeper Life Fellowship. 45 people gathered in our living room in our home on Lakeview Drive West. We still had boxes from having moved here from Texas. Hadn't unpacked everything yet. And uh, we met there that night and kept going. <laughs> and, um, you know, a little over two years ago, I felt like the Lord saying that it was the end of my journey as the pastor here. And uh, so I stepped down. But I'm so grateful to have been able to hand over the reins to Justin. And you are a good son. So I'm proud of you. And, uh, you know, honestly, it, as Marianne and I, it's taken me a good two years to unwind from 30 years of ministry <laughs> to warm up a little bit. But, um, but honestly, in that, it's, it's always good for me to know that the church is in good hands. And it's going along with the same spirit, the same message, the same word that we established. And, you know, when we started, and Justin and I were talking about this yesterday on the phone, when we started Deeper Life Fellowship that became Pure Grace about six months before I stepped down, um, we, uh, I, we, we didn't know anything. I didn't know what was ahead. We had no idea what was coming. We just, we just said, okay, here's the deal. We have a vision for how to reach the city, and let's reach the city, and let's go love people in practical ways outside the walls, find ways to love people, and just express the love of God to them. And that's pretty much all. We said we're going to be a life-giving church, and we're going to try to reach people in practical ways. And that was it. Well, you know, a year or two down the road and Lee McDougal gets healed of Parkinson's and the kingdom comes crashing into, right into us head on. So we began to learn about what it means that the kingdom of God is here. And I thought, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And then we began to see grace. And I thought, well, it doesn't get any better than this and grace leads to love. Anyway, it's just, you know, I, I love that song too. I, I will rejoice in the simple gospel. I'll rejoice in you, my Lord, because really Jesus is the gospel. You understand? It's, the, the grace message, as we call it, as we talk about it, is not a theology. I mean, it's a person. And uh, if you separate the theology from the person, all you've got is just another bad theology. Or another dead theology. It might be good, but it's dead if you separate it from Jesus. So, um, uh, I don't know. This is just, just so much. But I, I can't go into it right now. I probably will eventually. Um, <clears throat> so... Open your Bibles in John chapter 2. Let's just go ahead and I'm just going to jump right in here. I don't know where to stand because I used to have a pulpit up here because that's really where the blessing of the Lord comes from. <laughs> it's a pulpit. It's, it's hard for a message to be anointed at a table, but, you know, I'll, you got. I, I'll do what I can, Bill. <laughs> I'll, you know, John chapter 2. You know, right after um, Justin called... And, uh, and asked me to, to, to preach here this morning. Of course, I was excited, again, because my dream had come true. <laughs> but um, I, uh, uh, I, I, almost immediately, something came to mind and began to form in my heart. So, I mean, within a day, I knew what I was going to preach, which is really unusual. Very often, when I was pastoring, I didn't know until the night before what I was going to preach. But, um, <laughs> but, but this time, it was, it was so great. So... Uh, but I knew, and it's kind of stayed in me, stayed in my spirit, and the Lord began to form that over the last number of months. So I'm going to go here. Now listen, I, I, you need to understand, though, okay, I, um, my messages aren't complicated. I mean, uh, they never have been as far as that. And you, most of you, and some of you know, you've heard me say this before. This was my mantra. I think I've said this almost every, every time I've preached for the last 20-something years. Um, and it comes from uh, old Scottish preacher, Roy Hessian, who said, I've heard thousands of sermons in my lifetime. Most have been good advice. Not many have been good news. And so I have endeavored over the years to always make sure that whatever I preach is good news. Because honestly, good advice, you know, that good advice, mostly it just comes down to sin management. You know what I mean? How, how, how can you just act better so people think you are better? So they want the life they think you have. <laughs> you know, and so, um, it, so I, I really don't have a lot of advice. I have found over the years as a pastor that uh, as, when I give advice, most people don't take it anyway. So why spend a whole sermon preaching good advice when you're not going to listen? So, but, <laughs> but I am a firm believer, though, that the good news changes us if we believe it. 
we believe it, that it's true, then it begins to, to, to make changes in us. You know, and Jude says that it's grace that instructs us in righteousness and godliness and, and right living. And so, so this, this thing of grace, well, we'll talk about it more here as we go. I, honestly, I'm looking forward to the rest of the, I'm going to get through here because I'm looking forward to hearing Paul. <laughs> so, but um, I told him this message is not going to be anything special. So it, I'm just setting him up to be really good. Um, but I, I began to think about almost what came to my mind was Jesus' first miracle. All right, so let's, let's read about this. I want you to see this. Again, this is just, I don't really have any advice, but there's good news here that I hope has an impact on us. Um, look at John 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? If I had talked to my mama like that, <laughs> I wouldn't have been at the rest of the wedding. Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, okay, first of all, we've got to stop right there. I just love this. Yeah, just think, picture this relationship. And when Jesus was said woman, he wasn't being disrespectful like we would be if we said that. Um, think of the relationship between Jesus and Mary. I love this because basically Mary's saying, you can do something about this. I know who you are. On the other hand, she's saying, I don't care who you are. I'm your mother. <laughs> so you're just going gonna to do this. She was a great Jewish mother, right? They need wine, you'll do it. They need a miracle, you'll take care of it. It's done. <clears throat> so... Um, now, six stone water jars, verse 6, had, had been set there for Jewish purification so they could wash before they, you know, ritually wash before things. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it, had, where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He, isn't that interesting? The people who have this kind of, I used to think of it as just the servants, but it's sons. But those people who have this relationship with Jesus, they know. They see the miracle. They're kind of the first ones who get in on it, on what God's doing. But they knew where the water uh, came from. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after the people have drunk freely and they're all drunk, they put out the cheap wine, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. And Jesus performed this first sign of Cana of Galilee. And he displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Um, I'm just kind of wondering why that was Jesus' first miracle. Why is it important for us to know that that's the first thing he did in his public ministry? Um, so I'm going to give it a shot. I think it's important. I think it's a significant miracle in a number of ways. So what happened? Jesus took this water and he turned it into wine and it was the best wine they'd ever had. I mean, it was, it was the best. It wasn't just good wine. It was the best wine. So I so began to think about that. And, you know, water is very significant. In, uh, in, in the Bible. And, and so we understand that. I want you, in fact, to look back. Um, turn back to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to be bouncing around here today. So either power up yourself on your Bible app or get ready to flip. Uh, Exodus 17. We see one of the times when, when water was so important in this idea of a relationship with God and the covenant that, that we had with him. So this is under, the Mosaic covenant's already been given. So this is the people in Israel. They're in the desert and they're thirsty and they don't have any water and they don't know where they're going to die of thirst. And you know, water is important because you can only go a few days without water. So they're thirsty. Um, in Exodus 17, verse, let's see, verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So, so God says, all right, so the people are dying of thirst. They need water and the Lord knows they need water. So he tells Moses, okay, go to this rock and take the staff, the big walking sticks that you've had and, and hit the rock and water will come out. All right, so this is an easy question. So when we look at typology, you know, who, what things represent things in Scripture. So who's the rock? Jesus is the rock. And we see that later in Psalms. He's the, the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of ages. He is, uh, we, we, we are hidden in the cleft of the rock. So Jesus is the rock, and Moses strikes the rock, and water comes out. Well, what's that a picture of? Well, first of all, it's a picture of the spring of, of living water. We'll see again in Jeremiah. But when the rock was struck, life flowed from the rock. Now, obviously, I mean, if you've been in church a week, you can probably take that ahead and understand what that's a picture of, of the crucifixion. So the, the rock is struck. When it's struck, life is the result of it. Life flows out of the rock being struck. Okay, we all right with that? Okay. So water flows when the rock is struck, and it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But then something else happens. Look at Numbers chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So two books over. Numbers chapter 20, uh, verse 8. I'll turn there with you. So... Um, Look at verse 6, Numbers 20, verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell down with their faces to the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, Take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. Because again, they're thirsty again. The same, same kind of thing. They're dying of thirst, and uh, they're wondering where God is. And he says, Okay, now go and speak to the rock. Take the staff that you struck it with, but speak to it. Um, while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, so that a great amount of water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly to, into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he showed his holiness to them. Now, wait a minute. This is the moment where Moses gets penalized and is kept out of the promised land but that he's been leading them into for 40 years. And now he doesn't get to go in. Well, what was so bad about what he did? I mean, it's the same thing he did before. God was happy at him that time. Why is he not happy at him now? It's because he didn't do what God said. Remember, look, God said, okay, go take your staff, go to the rock. We know this rock. It's the rock with water in it, <laughs> which doesn't really happen, by the way, um, uh, unless it's supernatural. So go to this rock and speak to the rock and water will come out and they'll see it. God said, I want the people to see you speak to the rock and have water, have life-giving water come out of that. I want them to see that happen. But Moses goes to the rock, and he stands in front of the people, and he says, says see what you've made me do? Are you going to make us bring water out of this rock again? Now, now who is Moses crediting to be the source of water from the rock? Himself. Are you going to make us bring water out of this rock like we did before? Well, I'll, I, will, I will turn this rock around. <laughs> you better you better stop. Some, but Moses hits it, hits it twice, and water comes out, and God says, nope, not the way I want it done. Why? Well, for one thing, it's because if, if the rock is Jesus and striking the rock the first time is crucifixion, listen, he was crucified once and for all Amen. for the forgiveness of sin. And so, the, listen, everybody, the rock doesn't have to be struck again for you to get life from it. Once the rock was struck, now the principle is its relationship. Now we speak to the rock and water flows. Does that make sense? 
if, if, if you don't rely on the relationship part, if you don't speak to the rock and gear, if you decide to do what you did before to get life, that's legalism. You understand? Striking the rock again is legalism. Legalism is this idea of saying, okay, now I know that doing this is what gave me life before, so I'm just going to do it again. I'm going to do it again and see what happens. I know that when I met Jesus, it was because I was in a church and the choir was singing just as I am and I felt my heart strangely warmed and man, I went down and I prayed with the preacher and I got life from that. Well, then later you find yourself in a dry place in your life and you're thirsty. And so what do you do? Man, I got to find a church where they sing just as I am. I got to find a church that does that so that I can have that experience again. Whatever it is, it may be, you know what, I was reading the Bible. And as I was reading the Bible, man, the Lord just fell on me. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous pastor of Westminster uh, Abbey in England for many years, he, the Lord fell on me. He, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit while he was reading the newspaper in his study on a Sunday afternoon. He wasn't in a quiet time. He wasn't in a revival. He was reading the newspaper in his study. And he said something effective. You know, people always ask me what section of the newspaper I was reading. <laughs> and I will never tell them. Because then people say, you know, I got to read that. I got to do that. I got to get that section of the newspaper and read it on a Sunday afternoon. And then I'll get what the Lord has. No, listen, legalism is striking the rock again. It's doing what you think you need to do in order to get life from God. But listen, everybody, once the rock is struck, once you have come to him, once the 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 benefit of Calvary of the cross has been applied to your life. Now, when you're thirsty, all you have to do is speak to the rock. And life flows. It's about relationship. It's not about you saying, am I going to have to do this again? What do I have to do to get water out of the rock? But here's what's interesting. Now watch this. I, I still love this. This is an amazing thing about God. Even though... Legalism is like, strike, like striking the rock twice. And even though Moses really messed up and he did not do it, you know what? God still brought the water out. Listen, there are people who get saved because God finds them in the worst churches in the country. And I say worst churches because there are some bad churches. I'm, just, I'm not going to name them, but I'm telling you. <laughs> but there are some that are cold and legalistic and... And as that song begins, we sang, you know, I've been told that I'm not good enough. I've been told that I don't measure up. Listen, I, I, I was there, and it wasn't so much I was told that, but I told myself that. I was afraid I didn't measure up. I was afraid that, that I hadn't tried hard enough. You know, I hadn't witnessed to enough people this week. Oh, I hadn't read my Bible enough. Listen, but even, even then, even in places of legalism, God is so full of mercy, and he's so good, and he's so kind, he still finds people who are looking for him. Listen, the water can flow even when we mess it up, the water flows. But let's not, though, <laughs> resort and revert back to the things that we did before thinking that's how we get life. Because now it's about, it's about the personal relationship with the man. Does that make sense? All right. Now, here, let's take this a step further. Turn to um, Jeremiah chapter 2. If you have a physical Bible, I'll give you time to find it along with me. There it is. Jeremiah 2. This is just interesting what the Lord says. Now again, what we're looking at is the importance of water in the life of our relationship with God. as I take a drink of water from the spring. All right. Jeremiah 2. <clears throat> um, look at verse uh, 13. God says, For my people have committed a double evil, or another ESV says uh, two sins. For my people have committed two sins against me. He names them. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Now watch. 
God says, my people have committed two sins. One is they have forsaken me. Again, the English Standard Version uses the word spring, and I love that. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have instead dug cisterns for themselves that are broken and can't hold water. You know what a cistern is. I mean, it's, it's just a container that holds water, and it would hold rainwater, and that gets, and it's also it's kind of like, um, you know, when you see retention ponds in front of stores and commercial properties and things, place where the overflow can come and be held so it doesn't flood the streets until it slowly drains away. But a cistern was specifically something people would dig and, and reinforce so that it would hold rainwater so they'd have a place to go get water from. And they, they could, you know, they wouldn't have to go down to the river and have to dig a well or whatever. They can get water from the cistern. But, but God says, okay, my people now have committed two sins against me. One is they've forsaken me. The, the spring, I am the spring of living water for them. And they've decided they can get water on their own by, by digging something of their, of their own construction and using that for water. Guys, listen. Digging and building your own cistern is legalism. It's another way of saying, you know what? I can make this happen. I don't have to go to the spring of living water. Now, why? Watch. Why is that a sin? Because it is, now I want you to follow me, digging your own cistern, as they were doing, it's evidence of the fact that you don't trust the spring to always flow. Do you hear me? It's it's evidence of the fact they really don't trust that spring is going to always flow. So what it is, we need to have another way to get water because I don't know that God is actually going to be faithful to be our spring. Now, here's why I know that, that what I love about when Jeremiah and God and Jeremiah says, the people have committed two sins against me. Listen, Paul says in Romans, he said, let me be clear about something. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So whatever doesn't proceed out of trusting in a relationship with a father who loves you, Whatever, whatever you do that is not based out of you just abandoning yourself in the hands of a father who will take care of you, whatever doesn't proceed out of that is sin. Guys, can I be honest with you? I mean, let's look at the seriousness of this. Legalism is not just bad theology. Legalism is sin. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. And in, 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 a, in a legalistic system or a legalistic life where you're trusting on your own merit, your own efforts to bring life to you, where you're digging your own cisterns because you're not sure that God is ever actually going to be enough and you want to have a way to make sure that you still have a source of life, listen, whatever does not come from faith is sin. Guys, listen, legalism is not just, again, it's not just poor theology. Oh, I feel bad for those churches. I'm telling you, legalism hurts the body of Christ. It's sinful. I mean, that's all the more reason for us to avoid it in our lives and ask God. I remember when we first started uh, discovering sonship, I felt like it was about every 10 minutes that God was revealing to me another way that I was not living as a son. I mean, just listen, it's all right when the Lord reveals to you any way in your life that you're really depending on your own strength, depending on your own effort, depending on whatever it is that has brought you life before, if God reveals to you that you're doing that, that's all right. That's not sin when, because it's, that's just another opportunity for you just to abandon yourself into the hands of a father who loves you. See, and stop relying on yourself. Now, here's what's interesting about a spring. Spring is just going to spring, what it does. It springs up out of the ground. The water springs up. It is the nature of a spring to continually flow with never-ending water. That's what a spring does. Now, we'll talk about that more here in just a moment. But, so God says, he says, listen, Jesus is the rock. God says, I am their spring of living water, but they've forsaken me. And they've gone back to relying on their own efforts to provide lives, life for their souls. All right. Now, um, I want you to go to uh, Zechariah. <laughs> You're getting in the sticky part of your Bible now the, where the pages are still stuck together because you've never been there. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 9. 
um, verses 9 through 12. Let me just, I'm going to read it here. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Look at verse 11. As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today I declare that I will restore double to you. So now watch. This is a bridge verse here. One of those bridge verses that kind of bridges us, helps us go from Old Covenant to New Covenant. God says, watch, listen. He said, because of the blood of the covenant, I'm going to release your prisoners of the waterless cisterns. What cisterns do you think he's talking about? I think the same thing as, as Jeremiah. The ones they dug for themselves that can't hold water. They just can't. You're, listen, you are never going to be able to construct anything in your spiritual life that will hold water that doesn't come from the spring. You just can't do it. it no matter how good you build it, it's cracked. It won't hold water. It's not going to work. So God says, I'm going to, you become a prisoner of that waterless cistern. And God says, I'm going to release your prisoners of the waterless cistern. Why? Because of the blood of the covenant. Now understand, the old covenant was not a water-based covenant. You know, and we're seeing water symbolically in it, but it was a blood covenant as too. Blood covenant as well as the new covenant. So, so God said, because of the blood of the covenant now, I'm going to release the prisoners of waterless cisterns. All right. So now we have Jesus who takes this water and turns it into wine. All right, so look at Luke. Now, let's go into the New Testament where most of us are much more comfortable. Um, Luke 22. <laughs> and if you read um, the Apostle Paul enough, then you shouldn't be very comfortable at all in the New Testament. So, Luke 22. Now, actually, I, I love Paul because he got grace better than anybody. Um, Luke 22 and uh, verse 20. So this is, this is what we call the Last Supper. This is the night he was betrayed and Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. And we know this. We do this every, you know, every time that we take the Lord's Supper somewhere, we read this. Luke 2.20, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. All right, so now what's in the cup? It's wine, Right? So Jesus says in other references, in other, other of the Gospels, He said this wine is the wine, is the blood of the new covenant. So this wine represents my blood. All right, so now at this point now, we know that water has symbolized the spring of living water that comes from the rock. God Himself is the spring, right? Got that. Now Jesus changes the meaning of wine, and He says this wine now represents my blood. And it's the blood of the new covenant. What covenant? The covenant that's going to, going to release the prisoners of the waterless cisterns. This is that, it's that blood, that covenant. You know, this is one of those times where Jesus said, and this wine, is, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. And you, listen, the disciples knew what he was talking about. They went, what are you, what, that covenant? That, the covenant we've been waiting on for thousands of years, that covenant? Are you kidding me? We're seeing that out there. This is crazy. It can't be that covenant. That, I think they went nuts because they knew what covenant he was talking about because all the Jewish people were waiting on this new covenant. So, so Jesus said, this is the, the, the blood of the covenant. So Jesus now changes the meaning of wine into blood. Symbolically now, wine. And even today, right? I mean, you know that in most churches like I grew up in and probably this one still, though I haven't been here lately, when we do communion, we use Baptist wine. You know, it's, it's Welch's. Um, because I, I grew up Baptist, and as we all know, Baptists don't drink in front of each other. So, so, so we, we use grape juice because that's just good. It's as kosher as you can get. It's Baptist kosher. So, and I know it's not a Baptist church, but a lot of us have that background, and that's fine. Listen, I mean, we went to a funeral of a friend of ours a number of years ago, Mike Napoli, who was the, the priest at... at um, Holy Spirit Anglican Church, and at his memorial service, his funeral, they asked everybody to come down, you know, for, for communion, and so we did, and went down, got in line, and you know, the, it's very liturgical, and you drink from the chalice, and in that moment, I was reminded, oh yeah, we don't use wine for communion, 
because I almost fell down on the way back to my seat. Whoa, that grape juice has gone bad. <laughs> so, uh, but this, this, Jesus changes wine now to be sent. And so even today, we know when we have communion, we have the Lord's Supper, even if it's fake wine, we understand it represents wine, which represents the blood of the covenant, right? And Jesus even says later, he said, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until we're together in my Father's kingdom. See, so it, it becomes very important symbolically as the blood of the covenant. All right. Um, where are we going to go next? Well, that's all I have. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 19. How important is the blood? <laughs> Hebrews 9, um, in verse 19, For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water. Isn't that interesting? The blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All right. So blood of, in, in a covenant relationship, the blood of the covenant is, that's, that is the ink where the one who's signing the covenant signs his name. Now, Hebrews goes on to say many other places that if the blood of bulls and goats accomplished a covenant with God, then how much more the blood of his only son. I love that, that language in Hebrews. Oh, how much more, how much better is the new covenant? How much greater is the covenant we have now? But please understand this too. Most of you know this. I know I'm preaching the choir, but I'm going to say it again. Please understand the covenant that we are in with God now is not a covenant between God and us. We are in the covenant because it's a covenant between God and Jesus. And we get brought into it. Why? Because we are in Christ. Understand this. See, so here's the thing. In the old covenant, I've taught this before, you know, in certain ways, but in the old covenant, you know, part of the covenant relationship, especially in the Old Testament, was, okay, you keep your part of the covenant, I keep my part of the covenant, and if, if you ever, ever let me down, if you break the covenant, then this will happen. If I break the covenant, this will happen. Do you know people still live today, even in the New Testament era, people live today as if they are in danger of being penalized for breaking the covenant that they're in with God. Completely unfounded fear. Because it's not up to us to keep our end of the covenant. You know who it's up to? Jesus. I'm pretty sure there's nothing undone there. I'm pretty sure Jesus is not going to break the covenant. I, you know, I'm, I, mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure. So I don't have to be afraid. Listen, I don't have to be afraid that God is going to penalize me now because I didn't measure up, because I didn't live up to the terms of the covenant. You know why? I'm not in, I'm, covenant's not up to me. I was not a party to signing that covenant. It was between the Father and the Son. And listen, that is a covenant that you can absolutely be secure in. So, so if Jesus doesn't break the covenant, which he won't, then all that's left is no curses from the, from the covenant. There's only blessings from the covenant. And if you're in him, and if you, watch, if you get the benefit of the covenant, what does that leave for you? Only blessing. Listen, can I tell you, this, this always got me. I never knew why exactly. And, and, well, I do now, but I didn't know for a long time. Why it just irks me so much to hear Christians talking about being under a curse. Well, you know, man, my, it was in my family, and so it's a family curse been passed down. Why well, need to break this curse? You know, people go to revival meetings. Oh, God, break the curses in my life. Listen, we're going to sit down with you, and we're going to break all the curses. Listen, I, I know that, listen, I understand that there are things that if you come from a family of alcoholism, there's a good chance that you have propensity toward alcoholism. I understand that. If you come from abuse, there's a good chance that you, you know, you're going to be involved in abuse. I do. I get that. But I'm telling you, in the new covenant, the curses are broken. 
Now, I believe that's good news that changes us. If we will believe that news, then we will begin to see the benefit of the curses that have been broken by the blood of the new covenant. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not taking lightly things that, that we have to deal with and deliverance issues in our lives. I, listen, I understand there are things that, that you, God has to dismantle in us and take apart. I, man, I, listen, I get that. I'm, I'm not trying to say it's just as, as simplistic as it sounds. But the fact of the matter is, you don't have to be afraid of being cursed. You understand? You don't have to be afraid of that. I love it. Even as far back as, as Balaam. <laughs> And Balaam was being paid to, to curse the people of God. And he couldn't do it. And remember, every time he got up on the cliff to curse God's people, all came out was blessing. And the king that hired him kept saying, what are you doing? How hard is this? You remember what Balaam said? I can't curse a people that God's already blessed. This, you, you've been blessed. Yeah, we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. All right. So, um, now, now watch. Important verse. Come back to John 19. Oh, they're all important verses. I get that. But <laughs> John 19. Watch this. I'm wrapping up here. So, what have we seen? The importance of water in our covenant relationship with God. He was the rock. He was the spring of living water, right? We don't have to dig our own cisterns. We have a spring. It's amazing. Um, And it's the blood of the new covenant that gives us access to that water. That make sense? It's the blood of the new covenant that brings us into that relationship so that we can speak to the rock and, and our thirst is quenched. You want to see them come together? You want to see the very moment? I believe when Jesus did that miracle at Cana, I believe he was, he was prefiguring, he was, he was foreshadowing what was going to happen later. When Jesus turned the water into wine, I think he was bringing the old and the new covenants together, and he was showing symbolically what was about to happen. This is the moment it happened. Do you want to see it? Well, of course you do. That's why you're here. Well, that's why you're still here. All right. John 19, verse 33. Jesus is on the cross. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his leg since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. Now, I've heard these messages and we could go into the whole, you know, the description of the pericardium around the heart and where the blood and the water and then how. But I'm telling you, why is it important that the Bible tells us specifically blood and water came out? Because on the cross, those two things came together. On the cross, the living water was given to us because of the blood of the covenant. You see it? That's where it came. When Jesus turned the water into wine, I think he was foreshadowing what was going to happen when he was on the cross, when the water and the wine would flow together. All right. Now, look at, um, turn back a few chapters, John chapter 4. Some scriptures that you're, you're very familiar with. This is part of the good news. What's the point of the good news? This is part of the application of the good news. Okay, it's not advice, but we can talk about it for a minute. Why is this good news? Remember, in Exodus and Numbers and in Jeremiah, we just read, Jesus was the rock. God said, they've forsaken me, their spring of living water. Look at this in John chapter 4. Um, verse 13. Jesus is at, with the woman at the well. They're having their exchange. 13, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. 
Now, I'm gonna, you don't have to turn to it, but in John 7, verse 37, it says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, so when did the Spirit come? After the cross, right? After the blood of the new covenant was poured out, the Spirit came. Now get this, I want you to see this simple, sometimes hidden distinction. In the old covenant, Jesus was the rock from which flowed living water. The God himself said, they have forsaken me, their spring of living water. Well, what about the new covenant? Where's the spring of living water now? That's us. We are now that spring. Listen, the blood of the new covenant now takes the life of God and causes it to flow out of you. You are now that spring of living water. Are you the living water? Well, no, I think Jesus is the living water. But you are that spring of living water. Does that make sense? So here's the thing, y'all. This is why this is such good news. is because God in His goodness and in His mercy has chosen to make you, you who is a, who, on, because of whom the rock was struck once and now you can speak to that rock. Now you have become a spring of living water. And it is the nature of a spring to keep springing no matter what. Maybe, you know, we live on, Marianne and I live on a, a lake behind a Japanese restaurant on Cody Road. And a few years ago, there was a storm, really bad spring storm. I mean, deluge, 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 however you want to say that. A lot of rain came through, and, and, it, and it broke the dam on that, the lake. Well, the lake is fed by a spring, and so a lot of the water escaped. It, it leaked out because the dam was broken. But the funny thing is, the lake wasn't broken because the spring kept springing. And that spring is going to keep springing. Now, now we have to, as a homeowner association, we have to figure out what we can do to maintain the, the apparatus that, that causes that spring to flow unhindered. You know, sometimes we have to do a little maintenance, everybody, in our lives, right? We have to say, okay, you know what? Father, I, I need to have less road rage than I do right now. But sometimes we need to do a little maintenance in our lives and be aware of what the, uh, how the Lord wants to shape us. But, but really, the spring just flows because that's the nature of a spring. Guys, listen. The, the flow of the life of God through you, first of all, it quenches your thirst. That's an amazing thing. You don't need anything else. When you're experiencing that life of God, you don't have to be anywhere. You don't have to do stuff to have life of God flow through you. It just flows, Right? So, but also, it's not just for you, it's for everybody around you. So, other people have their thirst, their thirst for acceptance is quenched. Their thirst for unconditional love is quenched. Their thirst for a father is quenched. Their thirst for meaning, for purpose, for everything that they're looking for, that they're looking for, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And they're looking for it sometimes through fame or money or recognition or promotion or whatever it is, whatever they're doing that's not about finding their, their thirst quenched through Jesus. They're looking for it. But listen, you now are the spring to which they can come and drink the water of life and find their thirst quenched. Listen, and here's the great thing. That spring is going to flow through you even if you hadn't had your quiet time today. You understand? It's the nature of a spring to spring and flow. You don't even have to... Listen, even you say, well, Mark, I'm just not prayed up. I'm not prayed up. God doesn't care. I mean, does He want you to pray? Sure. Why? Because it's relationship. But you, God doesn't say, okay, listen, if you're not prayed up, then you know who knows what's going to happen to you today. Well, let's just hope you don't have a flight somewhere because if you didn't have your quiet time, that plane could go down because, you know, there's, there's no protection. Sorry, there's nothing I can do. If you're not prayed up, nothing I can do to help you. Listen, everybody, the good news is you can find yourself, and I hope this encourages you, you will find yourself having a, 
God-awful day <laughs> sometimes. You will find yourself having a terrible day where nothing is going right, and frankly, you're not sure God loves you at all. And before you know it, you're going to encounter somebody who is thirsty for the things of God, and you're going to go, great. I'm in no position to minister to them and tell them anything good. But you know what? I promise you, you open your mouth, and the spring starts to flow. I have found it again and again. I found it with my new theater friends. Maybe you know, in the last two years, I've been involved in community theater. I'm in a bunch of plays and musicals and stuff. And many of these people are completely unchurched. I mean, some of them think they're saved. Some of them don't know what saved means. Some of them are avowed atheists. But they're all really good people. I mean, I love them. We're, we're really close friends. I, I love their hearts. But the thing is, what I found is that as I'm hanging around them, even though I'm not a pastor anymore, even though I'm not preaching every Sunday, you know what? I find that in that moment, they can say something that just triggers the spring to come up out of me. And in relationship with them, I find that I'm saying things to them that I might not have said to anybody for months. But, I'm, but, but it's new in me, and it's fresh in me. It's not fake it till you make it kind of stuff. You understand? It's that, that spring is new, it's fresh, and I feel it again. And my heart is strangely warmed. And, and, and I understand, and that spring begins to flow to them. Listen, again, if, if you're going to trust in your ability to hold water well, <laughs> I'm, I'm relying on my cistern now to give water to everybody who needs it. Uh, people are going to come to that cistern and they're going to find it's empty because your cistern was cracked and you leaked water or the water's stagnant. You know, you're bringing out, listen, I, I've, I've known, I, I know preachers who the only thing they have to say is what they preached 30 years ago. I mean, there's some stagnant water out there. But I'm telling you, if, if you realize, you just believe, believe that the spring is in you. And now, because of the blood of the covenant, not because you struck the rock again, but because of the blood of the covenant, you have become a wellspring of living water that quenches your thirst and the thirst of everybody you come into contact with, whether you feel like it or not. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. That takes the pressure off me. I say, you know what, I mean, I, I want to have a, a good, vibrant, consistent relationship with the Father. Why? Because He's the Father and I'm the Son. That's why. Not so that I can be effective in ministry to people. That's not the end game for me. That's just, that's just part of life. That's just living out what I have with him. Does that make sense? All right. So, it, I, here's, the, here's the, one of the main takeaway points. It takes no effort for a spring to be a spring. <laughs> spring doesn't have to try to be a spring. It doesn't have to remind itself to spring. It just flows. And the good thing is, that living water is flowing in you right now. And even if it's just for you, if you're having one of those terrible days, you have a quiet moment, listen, you understand something. You are not dry anymore. The blood of the covenant has made you a spring of living water. And that's for you and for everybody you will ever meet. Amen? All right. Well, that's all I got. Hey, you know what? I'll tell you what. Let's take this last 10 minutes or so. And uh, I'm just opening it up right now. I mean, I know you have, you have things to write down questions for tonight, for question and answer. But just in case, while this is fresh on your minds, or anything that, that you heard this makes you think of, uh, very often, I, you know, we, and they have these times, and I hear things from people that I think, man, I'm going to include that next time I preach this. It's really good. I wish I'd thought of that. So anybody have any questions or comments about what we just talked about? Wow, I'm better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, Carol? In, John, in, in our Bible study, we, we studied that in John, where Jesus is at the festival, and he says, those who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Yeah. That that Jewish festival includes the priest pouring wine and water on the steps oh, of yeah. the temple. Yeah, that's and, good, uh, isn't that good? It was foreshadowing yeah. what, what you preached. That is good. That is good. I mean, if you look at that, it, it's right there together the whole time. And I think that's why, why Jesus used that as his first miracle. I think he was, again, he was just saying, something's coming, y'all. <laughs> this water is going to be wine. 
and they're going to flow together, and it's going to be good. Good. Amen. Anybody else? Anything? Carol. Carolyn, yes. It just, it, that rang so true that it just flows out of you because I could be not having such a good day at work and I work with the elderly, I do home health and there's so many health issues and things going on and then the spirit just rises up and, and I'll pray for them in their homes and you can't help it. It just comes out and you know that it's good yep. news and yeah. you know that it's hope and it just, that was just so true. Yeah, so It doesn't good. matter how I feel prior to that, it just comes yeah. up. <laughs> You know, most of you know, I, I work now as a, you're exactly right, Carolyn, I work as a hospice chaplain. And, um, you know, when I tell people that for the first time, they go, oh, man, how can anybody do that? You're dealing with death all the time. But actually, I'm not. I'm really dealing with life. You know, I mean, I'm helping people sort of find life, even in the last months of their life, or the last weeks. And you know what? I, I have sat in homes where somebody tells me their story, and I have immediately thought, wow, I have nothing. I got nothing for you. That's a horrific story. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't ha- I don't have any hope to. What, I thought that. But then, I, you know, as soon as I open my mouth and just start telling them what I know to be true already, I find that it starts flowing. And there's a spring there. And, it's a, and honestly, y'all, it's a supernatural thing. It really is supernatural. And you find that you're, you, all of a sudden you'll start to say something, that, that, that you'll see something start to matter to them. And the light starts coming on. You know, and, and you're giving them water. You're giving them life-giving water. And it's an amazing thing that you really can't prepare for, I don't think. It's not like you can study up on everything that will give somebody life. Because you're going I do, I to... Do I do a bereavement support group that I had a, a gentleman in there last month that I had that same moment where he was telling me his story. And he's shaking because his... Uh, and this guy, he's openly homosexual, and his partner died two years ago. But this guy's in so much grief. He's so debilitated. He can't live from day to day. I mean, he just, he can't hardly work anymore. He can't do it. He shakes all the time. He cries all the time because he has, listen, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. When people grieve without hope, it is terrifying. But we have something for them. We have living water for them. See, and so there are so many situations you, you, you'll encounter in your life that you can't prepare for. You cannot prepare for it. All you can do is trust that the spring of living water will well up in you. So listen, here, here's the last thing. It's important for all of us, I know that as believers, it is important to us for us to show the love of Jesus to those around us. Isn't it? I mean, we, we all want to do that. Here's how. Relax. Trust the spring that's in you already. Trust the Father. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So when you're trusting God, you're not sinning. It's not about the cisterns you've dug. It's not about how many times you can strike the rock. It's all about trusting the spring to be the spring. Okay? All right. Amen. Justin, come. I have a comment. <laughs> you got the microphone. Yeah, I was thinking about it as you were saying it back there too. Um, what is not faith is sin. What, what's great about grace and just about Christ in general is it, it takes the pressure off. It frees up our time because we're not so self-referential anymore that we can actually see other people's needs outside of our own. Mm-hmm. And so what I found, and one of the most discouraging things to me early on, was I, I was basing a lot of my faith on the results. You have to be very careful with that because... If you're basing it on that, you're basing it on, on not Christ. <laughs> so you, you're, you're basing it on that cistern instead of the life that's flowing out. So when all you can do is, is give that living water, not everybody's going to receive it. Mm-hmm. And that's a Good. hard thing to deal with. And that's something yeah. that I think hurt a lot of young Christians because they want to see everyone say it. I mean, don't we all? Yeah. We all want to see that. But we can't make people take it. And so I think what's, what's awesome about that is we, we, are, we just flow. <laughs> I mean, it's just what we do. It's, it's very natural for us. And we give it freely to everyone, not based on whether they deserve it, um, whether they keep making the same mistakes over and 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 over. We just give it. And that's what we're designed to do is just to give it freely.
And so yeah. I just thought about that. It's the same. It's just, it's a flowing. It's a constant flowing. Yeah. We don't we don't with, we don't withhold it because of circumstances. We don't withhold it because of our own our own perception of of what's going on. We just give it freely, and then God does the rest. I just I, yeah. I thought that was really cool when you were talking about the sister. That's good. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, there are still some little questionnaire things. If you want to fill them out, we've got the little drop boxes at the back. Um, but we also, Melvin, do we have a little a little tray of some sort? Okay, yeah, on the communion table. We're going we're gonna to take up a love offering for Mark. Um, we'll do this for both guest speakers. Um, and so we want to give you guys time to just bless them. And, and uh, you know, like I said, they've taken time out of their day. And I know even Paul, I saw this morning, it was your daughter's birthday today. I was oh, like, oh, man. my goodness. Wow. So we just, we really appreciate you guys being here. And, and, it, and to honor Mark, I mean, 15 years, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Mark. I wouldn't be the man I am today, and we wouldn't have this church if it wasn't for Mark. Um, so <laughs> no pressure. But... Uh, <laughs> But we really do want to encourage you. We're going to give you guys some time uh, just, just to, to give them a love offering. And I'll, yeah. And, and lunch will be after. Everybody can stay. We've got more than enough food for everybody. Uh, Brother Ben has been preparing uh, smoked meat, <laughs> pulled pork, like since last night. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got lots of food, drinks, everything. Just come, hang out. It'll be, it'll be right back here. Oh, yeah, we have a cake, too. Honoring the, the 15 nice. years of, 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 our, of this church, we have a cake back there. So oh, stay around. Cool. If for nothing else, the cake and the celebration. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'll pray us out. And as you guys leave, we'll, we'll have the basket here. Just come up here and, and, and give your love offering for Mark. Father, I just uh, I thank you of, of the incredible word as we, we go to lunch and, and chew on some food. I'm, I've got to chew up everything Mark just said and, and, and uh, just really let that sink in. I mean, it was so powerful and such a good word. And we just appreciate him speaking that into our lives right now. So, Father, just take that and, and help it to just, just uh, stir up in us and help us to realize who we are in you and what we represent, Lord. We just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.